welcome friends to Generations. This is Kevin Swanson, Bill Jack from Worldview Academy with me. And Bill, in an apostate age, there's a period of time at which people still attend church. People still uh, fake like they're Christians. People still pretend they subscribe to the Bible of the Old and New Testaments. But they apostatize. They've turned away from all of it. And they misinterpret it. And they compromise every aspect of it. But they still say, I'm still a Christian. I'm still identified with Jesus Christ. And so there's this period of time at which, you know, an apostasy is working its way out that people somehow still want to identify with Christianity, but they've undermined every significant element of it. They hold to the externals, the symbols. They maybe even keep their Bible under their elbow and uh, maybe keep it on the coffee table, but uh, they don't believe anything in it. They just pretend they do. And I think that's where we are with the liberal denominations right now. It's no more evident than in the issue of sexuality and and self-identity. Um, we see this with, with those who claim that uh, they are homosexual and a Christian. I'm a Christian and a homosexual. Are you telling me I'm going to hell? I've heard that you know over and over and over. And they'll cite... Romans 13, 8, owe nothing to any man except to love one another. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I am your brother. You are to love me. And they'll forget to go on to the definition of love in the next couple of verses. The next verse. about not committing adultery, not stealing, and so forth and so on. So they don't want to define love by the commands of God. They make Mm -hmm. make love a feeling, not an act of will based on a standard. And as you pointed out in verse, verse 9, it says that if you love your neighbor, you won't steal your neighbor's wife. You won't steal your neighbor's car. You won't steal your neighbor's life. Mm-hmm. Four or five of the Ten Commandments are listed in verse 9. It is an act of the will based on a standard. That standard is God's Word. There are feelings that come with love. We can't deny that. But feelings don't get you through 46 years of marriage. And it's not the substantive definition of love. No. All right. So now, uh, here is a Guardian article uh, relating to this debate on the words contained in 1 Corinthians 6, 9. And uh, this is where the Apostle Paul says, "Such of you, some of you were adulterers, uh, fornicators, uh, homosexuals, uh, effeminate and such were some of you, but you've been washed, you've been justified, and you've been saved. And so, and so there's, now there's the key. We have been delivered from these sins by the power of God, by the Spirit of God, by the supernatural imposition of Almighty God into our lives, making us new creatures. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And and that's you know that's what Paul is bringing out here now. But but. Some of the folks are saying, yeah, but, but I want to hang on to my homosexuality. And that's why not Paul's, a lot of adulterers. Yeah. It's interesting. Not a lot of covetous. Right. Not a lot of the greedy. Not a lot of the drunkards are stepping in and saying, hey, let's redefine the words here uh, in order to carve out an exception for me. But evidently, there's a group of sinners in our society today that want to make an exception for themselves for their particular favorite sin of choice. And that is the homosexual uh, groups that are right now fairly influential in liberal Protestantism, but also more so in the PCA and the Southern Baptist denominations as well. And in evangelicalism in general. And what what they're saying is that the translation there is mistranslated, that it wasn't until 1946 that the word homosexual 
was introduced into that passage. And therefore, as the article claims, there's now rampant homophobia in the church. Because of that, because the mistranslation yeah. of these verses beginning in 1946, of course, they don't discuss much of what the Jerome's Vulgate uh, took it to be or what the King James Version took it to be uh, way back in, what, 1611. So the film actually that is being discussed in this particular uh, article, the documentary film called 1946, The Mistranslation That Shifted Culture, uh, is is trying to take the word malakoi and merely translate it as soft, decadent, lazy, and indolent. And the other word, uh, arsenikoi, uh, compound word that, quote, roughly translates to male bed, but then they immediately say it alludes more to abusive, predatory behavior than it does to homosexuality. Okay, and so pederasty. Now, right. But right. Th- but it's that, that's absurd when you look at what Scripture teaches in general. You, you don't you don't proof text anything. You have to look at what Scripture teaches overall. Right. You don't separate it out from the rest of Scripture, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. But let me go back to Leviticus chapter twenty and verse twelve or thirteen. If Bill, if you were to write out a command concerning the sin of homosexuality, and you wanted to eliminate all weasel room, I suppose you would write it almost exactly the way it's written in Leviticus chapter 20 or 18. If a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Now, is there any part of that that a red-blooded American male or female would not understand? You you follow me here? I mean, an adult person who understands the idea of sexuality, is there any part of that that is just, uh, what does he mean by that? That's pretty obvious. Right. I mean, this is probably the most obvious way to present a particular sin, the sin of homosexuality, as you could possibly present it. And there it is in Leviticus 20 and Leviticus 18. But the argument, Kevin, is, well, that's the old covenant. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to take take me out and you want to stone me. I'm a Christian and a homosexual. Mm -hmm. You want to take me out and you want to chunk rocks at me because that's what the the Old Testament says Mm -hmm. you're to do to me. That we're not under the old covenant of the law, we're under the new covenant of love. That's not very loving, Kevin. What you just proposed right. to do, and so, so Bill, I, I get that's the, the argument. Yeah, but but now, you know, Jesus never said anything bad about homosexuality, right? That's that's the argument. That's the argument. Did Jesus have anything to say about homosexual? So homosexuality? You, you, if Jesus you, didn't. It's no big it's deal. Got to be okay. And that's yeah. Jimmy Carter actually made that argument as well. Right uh, now, you have an, a, a basic. In, instructive path you take young people through to better understand this. First of which is who is Jesus? Right. And Jesus is God. When somebody right? says, the word of God. Well, when somebody says I'm a Christian and a homosexual and Romans 13, eight, you're to, you're to love me. I'm your brother in Christ. You're to love me. First question that, that did, and they, they added, did Jesus have anything to say about homosexuality? First question that I train students to ask is, well, what do you mean by Christian? And because a lot of people can say that, but if they give you a biblical response, then you take them to 2 Timothy 3.16. What does that say? All scripture is? Given by inspiration of God. Yes, and, and you get them to, to agree. Put the man of God for every good work. You get them mm-hmm. to agree that, that the standard for judging actions is God's word, that we start with scripture. Then you take them to John 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Who is the word? Jesus. So you get them to agree that Jesus is God. Then you take them to Leviticus 18.23. 
1822, mm-hmm. 1823. I had two guys come up to my booth at an outdoor fe- festival. They claimed to be Christians. They both admitted to being homosexual. One claimed to be a son of a pastor. After about two hours, we got down to this point because we had lengthy conversations about different things. And I got down to this point. I said, read to me Leviticus 18.23. Basic, and I said, what does it mean? And basically it says no sex with animals. It's very clear. And I said, okay, back up one verse to 18.22. Because if he can tell me what 18.23 means, he certainly can tell me what 18.22 means. And mm-hmm. 18.22, as you pointed out, is very clear. No same-sex intercourse. And then, but the argument, I'm sure the listeners are going, but, but how does that say that Jesus had anything to say about homosexuality? Because all Scripture is God-breathed, and Jesus is God. Where did he say something about homosexuality? In Leviticus 18.22. I tell students, do not let people pull the red-letter edition on you. It's not just the New Testament. It's the whole of Scripture. And they'll say, well, the Old Testament, that's the Old Covenant. Well, I don't, I don't make sacrifices every day, animal sacrifices. I, I don't have to watch what, what foods I eat. So we don't have to live by the old covenant. Well, there are reasons we don't have to live by the old covenant. Number one, I'm not Jewish, okay? But number two, Jesus fulfilled the law. We have the picture of the picnic basket, if you will, coming down out of heaven and Peter saying, and God telling Peter, take and eat. And Peter says, I'm kosher. I don't do that. Take and eat. I don't, I don't think I should eat, uh, you know, barbecue pork, take and eat. Ooh, I like it. Okay. So that was fulfilled. We don't have to abide by dietary laws or sacrificial laws. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. He's fulfilled that. But the moral law was not set aside in the old covenant. And still emphasized, as you mentioned, in Romans 13. It's, yeah. it's brought back out in Romans 13. The Ten Commandments. It's, it's, it's brought back out in First Timothy chapter 1. We're exactly. going to get to that in just a moment. The apostles continued to say, Jesus did as well. In yes. uh, Matthew 5, says, uh, if anybody tries to adjust one jot and one tittle from this law, he shall be considered least in the kingdom of heaven, etc. And, and in John 5, Jesus said, said, it's not I who judge you, judges mm-hmm. you, it's Moses. You yeah. claim to be of Moses, yeah. I'm going to let Moses judge you. Yep. Well, let's take a look at these two words that appear in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, because this is somewhat of the controversial point that is being made uh, in this discussion. This uh, modern novel reinterpretation of our Senequitas is an example, I think, of the absolute worst form of honest scholarship ever, ever, ever. On the one hand, uh, I think the article is right in that the introduction of the word homosexual in 1946, probably not the best word to use, Bill. I mean, they've got an issue because the word homosexual didn't exist prior to, I'm going to say probably 1920-ish. I'm not sure exactly when uh, the word entered the English vocabulary, but it came in through modern psychology. Uh, It's just a modern psychological term. It's not really that great. I'd rather not use it. Uh, People understand what it is it seems tends to connote the thing that uh, most people understand and so we use the word but it's not a very good word i'd rather use the biblical word of sodomite is probably the best word to use it's more precise uh in terms of what's going on here but the ancient latin translation jerome's vulgate renders the word uh, arseno coitus as uh, male concubinage 
And I think we all know what a concubine is and what the purpose of a concubine is, so we don't have to get into that. But a male concubine is, I think, something that everybody understands. Now, that's fourth century. That's not 1946. (laughs) Something I want to point out. Okay, so, you know, 1946 minus roughly 350 years, and you're you're running at 1,600 years before uh, Matthew Vines shows up to explain it to everybody what uh, these words are supposed to mean. Okay, exactly. so let's go back, you know, 16 centuries, and let's identify how Jerome took it. He took it as male concubinage, which has nothing to do with abuse. Absolutely nothing to do with abuse. So yeah, the idea that yeah. you, you take the word arsenicoitus and say, well, that just a- applies to some kind of sexual abuse that goes on. It has nothing to do with sexual abuse. That's just something randomly pulled out of the 21st century. Somebody like Matthew Vines came up and said, I think we should just translate it this. And it's a very, uh, has absolutely no basis in church history, has absolutely no basis in classical Greek language, et cetera, et cetera. So where does this word come from? And that's really the question here. The term is a neologism, which uh, was created actually straight from the Greek Septuagint. Now, what's the Greek Septuagint? The Greek Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament that was put together by Jewish scholars uh, a, a number of years before Christ. It would have been, I think, anywhere between 50 and 100 years before Christ. Uh, these folks, uh, there were effectively uh, Hebrew scholars and, and Greek scholars that came together in Alexandria and put together the Septuagint, which, by the way, was used by Jesus and the apostles. So it's not unusual. It was a translation that was used. And uh, considered important and significant and a a means by which uh, the Old Testament could be transferred to a Greek-speaking audience in the first century. So so the term uh, that's used here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that is really the nub of the debate was a word put together by uh, the folks that put together the Greek Septuagint. And uh, it it comes in longer form in Leviticus 18.22. There it is, arsenos. U koime these koitain, and that was shortened to Arsenus koitain by the Apostle Paul. Arsenus koitain comes from this phrase used for Leviticus 18.22, the, precisely the verse that, uh, that Bill Jack referred to just now. So, our, and there it is, Arsenus u koime these koitain, and that's shortened into Arsenus koitain. Okay, so there it is, shortened into Arsenus koitain, put together as a neologism by uh, the Apostle Paul, and perhaps others in the Christian audience at that point. It's an exclusive Christian and Jewish term. It's not used in classical Greek. Scholars have not been able to find it anywhere in non-Jewish, non-Christian text before the 6th century AD. So again, we're talking about real scholarship here, not this joke stuff that's coming out of the pro-homosexual and crowd. And the argument against what you just said is, therefore, Paul was a misogynist, Paul was homophobic, as were the translators of the the words and, and the and, Jewish and, scholars and, 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 and if you, that's the case then they were also you know they were anti adultery yeah. they were anti murder right. they were right. anti thieving right. they had a bias at, against at, that. At, that at that point you've pulled yeah. out your pair of scissors and you're just cutting out the parts exactly. you don't want and so at that point you know you're bringing up your own religion and you're playing it the way you want it to play which is exactly and you're what's making happening. up as it goes and that's pretty much you know but what I'm talking about honest scholarship and honest Christians who take the word of God as communicated to us by the Apostle Paul as inspired, not just his opinions, but something that's inspired and something that we need to use to frame our thinking. All scripture given by inspiration of God and profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for the instruction of righteousness. And don't forget the Apostle Paul 
Peter referred to the Apostle Paul's writings as the other scriptures, quote unquote. So keep that in mind as well. So the point is that this, this word, Bill, in this passage was an exclusive Christian and Jewish term, and it was not used in non-Jewish, non-Christian text before the 6th century AD. And it was a way of distinguishing, Bill, the Old Testament total opposition to all homosexual practice that we find in Leviticus 8.22 from the more acceptant attitudes common in the pagan world and, of course, common in today's pagan world as well. That's why you have so many Christian pagans and pagans doing all the pagan stuff today because we're reverting back into the old pagan world. But the Christian world and the Jewish world took a strong stance against this in Leviticus 18.22 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now, Paul also uses the same word arsenikotai, in 1 Timothy 1.10, and links it to the Mosaic Law. So, so here, you know, if you want to know, is there any link at all between the use of the word arsenikotai and the Septuagint use of the word in Leviticus 18.22, is there any connection at all between the use of this word and Leviticus 18.22? Absolutely. And that shows up in 1 Timothy chapter 1. And they have a more difficult time, those who are pro-homosexual activists, dealing with 1 Timothy than they do because that's why they always pick on on first corinthians 6, yeah they go to first corinthians 6 first but the other but, use of it is in first timothy 1 10 yeah. let me read that for you here it is paul says we know that the law is good so what law is he talking about well the mosaic law the law is good if one uses it lawfully knowing this that the law is not made for the righteous person but for the lawless insubordinate for the ungodly for sinners for the unholy profane for murderers of fathers and mothers for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites. Okay, so there's the word again. That's exactly the word used in 1 Corinthians 6, arsenokotai. It shows up here in 1 Corinthians or 1 Timothy 1 and verse 10. About 30, 35 years ago, I debated a, the pastor from the Metropolitan Community Church up in, up in Greeley at the university there. The Metropolitan Community Church is an, is an international denomination founded for and by homosexuals, lesbians, transgendered groups. And he he had all the arguments and all his apologetics down, and he would say in response to First Timothy, his his argument was his apologetic was, well, notice it says that the law is not for the for the just; it's for the unjust. It's not for the righteous; it's for the unrighteous. He said, "I am righteous because I put my trust in Jesus Christ," and so this passage has nothing to do with me. Okay. Yeah, right. You see, you see how they twist Weasel, weaseling out of that yeah. one too, right? Well, yeah, it, he said it, that it, he had, it, it applies yeah. to anybody that's violating the very things that are being discussed in Exa- that passage, exactly. which would include homosexuals and uh, those who kidnap people, uh, fornicators, uh, those in sexual sin, etc., uh, etc. Et so now we talked about arsenikotai. Now I want to talk about malakoi. That's the other word used in First Corinthians chapter six. This refers to the effeminate. It's a word for soft. Now, it's not just soft and lazy. This is the 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 effeminate man. This is somebody considered grotesque even by the Greeks, a grown man who would exhibit a softness or an effeminate behavior. Uh, but the word asenikotai extended the prohibition uh, to any and all forms of homosexual behavior, whereas the Greeks and the Romans were more concerned with the uh, malakoi, as more of an offense to them. Now, now that scripture, uh, that is Leviticus 18.22, as well as 20.13, as well as 1 Corinthians 1, as well as 
Romans uh, chapter one, Romans one, First Timothy, First Timothy chapter yeah. one, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, of course, the Greeks and Romans would not have agreed with that. Now, Eusebius, one of the very first of the church fathers, uh, right around three twenty-five, talked about the prohibition of male-male intercourse in Leviticus as a prohibition to not arsenicoitin. So again, coming back to the very same word, Eusebius uses it. Jerome translates it as male concubinage. And here, Eusebius as well, this is one of the very first Christian writers, refers to this as a word that ties directly in to Leviticus 18.22. Arsenicoitine was something to be prohibited in the Christian church, according to Eusebius, because of its use in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, as well as 1 Timothy chapter 1. And uh, he called it, it's something characterized as a pleasure contrary to nature, males mad for males and intercourse of men with men. That's just in demonstration of the gospel, 163, 67, 410, 6, et cetera. Now, so we have these prohibitions to two things. And, and these are the things that, of course, we're saved from as Christians within the Christian church. We're saved from the Malakoi. We're saved from our Senekoitais. Uh, so now this includes the softness. This includes the effeminacy that should not characterize the male in the Christian church. Uh, as, as Doug Wilson puts it in his blog, the gay vibe is also sinful. This is some quotes. I'm going to quote several, uh, modern Christian pastors who write on this subject here. Here's what Douglas Wilson writes concerning this Malakoi. Suppose we are dealing with someone who has bought into the gay but celibate proposals. On the one hand, he really is celibate, and he's not in any problematic friendship. In other words, he is not in any sexual relationship. He's not teetering on the edge of one. But on the other hand, let us also say that he's walking, talking stereotype of someone who is light in the loafers. He talks with a lisp. He's limp-wristed. He walks like Liberace in a pair of skinny jeans. He's really into fabric design and so on. In other words, sex aside... Sexual activity aside, everything about him screams gay. Without any sex at all, without any sexual activity on the horizon, he is being effeminate, and that is a sin. Yeah. It, it claimed, the, people like that claim they are asexual, mm -hmm. and so therefore that they're excluded from all of this prohibition. But uh, one, there are a couple of things here. In First First Corinthians 6, in, it, in verse 11, and you read it, it says, Paul writes, and such were some of you but you were washed, you were sanctified by the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he goes on to say, so therefore stop doing these things. Now, Paul is writing to Christians. He's not writing to non-Christians. So in, in the church of Corinth, there were there's a whole laundry list of sins mm -hmm. from which they were saved. Mm -hmm. And he says, so stop practicing these things. Mm -hmm. and, and so when we add an adjective in front of Christian, we diminish Christian. So this whole idea of, of, of accepting in the church, I'm a gay Christian, should be rejected outright. We would not accept that with any other sin because I, I'm a cannibalistic Christian. You know, I, I, I can't help it. I, I was born this way and I have to eat people. I, I, I am, I'm an embezzling Christian. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a lying Christian. We would not accept that. No, no, you don't that. want to identify yourself that way. No, we would not accept, we because we've been washed, we've been sanctified, mm -hmm. we've been freed from that. Mm -hmm. We turn our back on that, mm -hmm. and we walk in a new light. But by adding the term gay in front of Christian, you diminish Christian, and we have, the church has now accepted that as a 
as a never, never land. Well, they're not practicing. They're just celibate. So they're gay Christians. No, you're just a Christian. Such were some of you. Such were some of you. Such were some of you. Um, Here's also John Piper's Desiring God Ministry referring to this very same issue. And again, I'm only addressing the issue of Malakoi, as well as Asarnakotas right now that comes directly from the Greek, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And uh, John Piper's Desiring God Ministry holds an article on the very same issue here. Uh, In the ancient world, effeminacy entailed a moral frailty, acting cowardly or womanish in battle, inordinate love for luxury, rendering men delicate and tender, and the sexual deviancy of acting like a woman in one's demeanor, speech, and gesture. The Bible addresses each, describing men who become women on the battlefield, Jeremiah 50, 37, go soft due to luxury, Matthew 11, 7, and 8, and become sexual deviant, 1 Corinthians 6, 9. The term effeminacy is not intact on femininity itself, which is a woman's glory, but rather on femininity when attached to a male. And I would add one more thing, and that is that men should not have long hair and be fiddling with their hair all the time. Now, that's not a manly thing and also something that Bill Jack I w- never I really wish has I to could deal with. fiddle with my hair. Yeah, you don't have bit, much yeah. hair to, to, to fiddle with there, None at all. as I can see it from here. But the point is, 1 Corinthians eleven fourteen, 14, uh, Paul again says, does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him. But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. Uh, so I guess let me just close it this way, friends. Um, God wants us to play the man, be the man God has called you to be. Like John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 11, play the man, not just the man, but God's man. Be God's man. Think about what Jesus said about John the Baptist. He said, what did you go into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments. Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you more than a prophet. For this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, but the violent take it by force. So young men especially, older men as well, friends, don't be effeminate. Don't be whiny. Quit ye like men. Be strong. Don't walk away from relationships with the first conflict that comes up. Don't be afraid to confront your brother. Work it out with him. Forgive him. Play the man. Be strong in faith. Whatever happens, whatever persecution comes your way, keep going. Despite the tribulations before you, play the man. Be strong. Be strong in loving others. Continue in love. Persevere in love. Love your enemies. Keep doing it. Do good to those who despitefully use you. Play the man. Be like Jesus. Take the arrows. Be willing to go to the end, to the crucifixion, uh, for the cause of Jesus Christ. Play the man. And that, that's the message that you get from Jesus here in yeah. Matthew 11 and throughout Scripture. So yeah, I'll leave you with that. We're, we're pretty much out of time. But uh, friends, let me give you, keep the faith on sexuality in the family. If you're interested in this debate and, you know, you have Matthew Vines and you have this documentary coming out and the Guardian article and, you know, you have stuff coming out in the year 2023 saying, hey, we've got a brand new interpretation for, uh, we got a brand new moral we want to impose on scripture. Um, guys, um, um, there's 2,023 years before you. There's all of the wisdom of the church fathers set against you. And you're going to redefine all these terms? Like you, Matt Vines, stepping up to the microphone to redefine everything. Uh, I don't think so. No, no, you've got 2,000 years against you. 
you've got the words of Jesus, you've got the words of Paul, you've got the entire word of God against you if you're taking a position against this. And so I'd encourage you to this book, Keep the Faith on Sexuality in the Family. As a very basic, it's short, it's 140 pages or so. It's just a very basic presentation of the plain facts when it comes to these rather controversial hot-button issues of the day. So get a copy of Keep the Faith on Sexuality at our website, generations.org. This is Kevin Swanson and Bill Jack inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation. 